Hi, everyone. It is uh, Sunday, I guess, technically, right? UFC 251 just ended, so that makes it Sunday, July 12th. It is about uh, 1.55 in the morning, East Coast time. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is my UFC 251 post-fight special. We have a lot to get to, not a moment to waste. So without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? All right. Um, actually, no, I can take this. Hold on. Let me do this. Um, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Very quickly, I'll say this. Uh, here, very quickly. Let's do this. Subscribe. Give the video a thumbs up if you can. Well, you can, of course. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of the Luke Thomas Show on SiriusXM. There is information for that in the description box below. I am one of the hosts of Morning Combat, which, by the way, we now have merch. Look at that. Uh, pretty cool, right? We got merch, bitches. Uh, which you can get at store.show.com, which is .sho. But if you want more information about Morning Combat, um, in the description box below as well. Okay? All right. Very good. So please give a thumbs up. Please subscribe. We got a lot to get to here, folks. And it is late, so I don't want to waste another moment if I don't have to. Okay. Whew. The results are as follows. UFC 251 took place at some fucking hangar in the middle of uh, Abu Dhabi. I had an allergy attack, by the way, before the show. So if I sound a little nasally, I apologize. I am doing my best. Uh, I guess they're calling it the Flash Forum in Abu Dhabi. Um, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the prelim cards, either the ESPN portion or the Fight Pass portion. We're really going to focus our attention on the main card. All right? Okay, so let's get to it. Kamaru Usman defeats Jorge Masvidal via unanimous decision. Two scores there of 50-45, one of 49-46. I'm guessing I have not seen them yet. The UFC sends the cards out to media. Let's see here. No, I don't have it yet. It takes a few minutes. I'm going to guess that it's the first round. It was the one that was the best for Jorge in that particular case. Okay. A couple things to consider here. Um, this was somewhat predictable. When I say somewhat, to me, I thought Masvidal was... Live dog is a strong word, but I didn't want to discount his chances of winning because I think actually what this fight showed, to be honest with you, is I didn't really know what to make of this idea that there was this resurrection or this change in attitude or blah, blah, blah. And if you're a real cynic, you can look at this fight and say, aha, you see, it's like all the other ones that he lost. But that's actually not true, right? I mean, it's another L in the column, so he goes from 13 to 14 in that sense, but... I don't think that accurately reflects the situation. To me, he was clearly a little bit um, fatigued from, I'm not going to call it six days notice because I don't think that's right. He was training for a long time. They had flown in Bo Nickel, three-time Penn State champion. Clearly, he had taken his foot off the gas, so he was not in like ready fight shape. I think that part is true, but the six days thing is, is not real. But actually, I think what this fight showed, if you're a Jorge Masvidal fan, was he was as talented as you already knew him to be. Nothing new there. We always knew he, we always knew he was talented. The issue was, like, he was, to me, striking with, with real emphasis. And a lot of times in some other fights, not like, you know, the Cowboy fight or something like that, but, like, you know, even in the Ally Aquinta fight, he was kind of coasting a little bit. 
And if he was coasting here, it was for the preservation of cardio, which is not the case in some other fights where he has coasted. Right? So there was like a clear, understandable way in which he might have been like preserving himself. You know, for example, when they had wrist control with one underhook against the fence, Masvidal wasn't really fighting out of it, you know? And I understood that. It's like, I'm going to waste my energy doing this when I could just like kind of concede a little bit. And then when we get separated, whether it's by virtue of the referee or by virtue of a new round being there, um, you know, at that point, I can just go back to striking the way I am. He, he strikes with a purposefulness that he didn't quite used to do. And unless you've been like sort of following the trajectory of his career and noticing these things, that may not sound like much to you because he didn't really ever get a chance to get going outside of the first round here. And so I think there's going to be Masvidal fans who watch this really disappointed. But the first thing I'd say is like, do I buy into the resurrection thing? Okay, I don't buy into the idea that he's like a brand new fighter. But I do buy into the idea that his risk assessment and his urgency has changed. I do think that is probably quite true, number one. Number two, listen, if he had won the welterweight strap tonight, would that have sent him on a rocket ship to the stars with his stardom? There can just be no doubt about it, right? It would have been enormously helpful. But the reality is here, <laughs> Kumaru, Kumaru retains the belt, but the way in which he won, it doesn't bother me, man, because I sort of get the game at this point. You know, I've been watching the sport for a long time, okay? So I'm just sort of like numb to it a little bit. But I kind of get that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, wow, Kamaru, you know, he, yeah, he's dominant, but he's kind of boring. I, I'm not here to say I endorse that viewpoint, but am I here to say that that's not going to be a thing that fans are saying? Of course they are. Of course they are. And if you're paying money for entertainment and you're not getting it, Yo, they're going to be bitter about it. So I kind of understand that. I really do. I I, I get it. I sympathize with him to a degree. Um, I sort of understand. And if you like Masvidal, the reasons why you like him don't really change. Okay, can you say he's the best welterweight on the planet? No, you cannot. Can you say that he's exciting and, you know... In a stand-up contest, he's going to bring it every time and that he is talented and that you like his swag and all that kind of stuff. None of that changes. None of that changes. So you're in a good place in that sense. I know the result is probably disappointing if you're a Jorge Masvidal fan, um, understandably. But the truth is what the truth is. Like, I tweeted it, you know, and it's not quite, I've not quite been ratioed for it, but it's not exactly like people are unanimously agreeing Dude, Kamaru Usman's the most talented welterweight on the planet. I don't, I don't, you know, and I know folks are going to say, oh, if, if Jorge had had a full camp and blah, 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 things might have been different. I can't say that's necessarily wrong, you know, but in a rematch, who are you picking? Not, not based on your uh, fandom per se, but like sort of a, as an observational way of picking. You know, this is what Kamaru Usman does. He has good striking defense. He's not exactly, you know, um, you know, he's not he's not prime Stefan Laco on the feet or something like that in terms of his offense, but he's got pretty good defense, you know, and he has this ability. You saw him when he would reach for the level change, it would back Jorge up. Once you got him in the warning track, which is behind the two black lines, that space between the two black lines and the fence, 
at that point, he can either just, you know, fake high and then dive in underneath. He can throw a couple of shots and get it underneath. And then once he's got you against the fence, dude, he is a, he is a fucking nightmare, man. Um, you know, no pun intended with his, with his uh, nickname. He is really quite difficult to deal with there. And uh, you saw him sort of really pick it up at the end, which is he got to crucifix thing a couple of times. Um, uh, he was really sort of hammering home some of the elbows on top. This is why actually these two are, are a bit of a bad matchup. By that I mean Jorge Masvidal is good at everything. He is great at certain things. But he has, at a, at a bare minimum, he's good at everything. Okay, He's actually good at everything in a way that Kumaru is not. Kumaru is excellent at certain things. But um, Jorge is good everywhere. Like his takedown defense, good. Is it perfect? No, but it's pretty fucking good, you know? His jiu-jitsu is good. His scrambling, it's good. His kickboxing, it's good or great. His boxing, I think it might be the best in all of the UFC. Like, he he checks all the boxes. So when a guy like Kamaru meets him, who has an advantage, it's not like Kamaru's... Kamaru's got the advantage, right, in the wrestling sort of clinch department, Okay. But it's not like the advantage is so strong that he's just going to overwhelm him. Jorge is going to make you work for it. And so what ends up happening is he can't make up the distance between them, sort of the metaphorical distance, right? Not the physical distance. But as a consequence, Kamaru can't quite overwhelm him either. And so it just ends up being like he kind of ekes him out over time. And then when Jorge really gets tired, okay, well then Kamaru can sort of, you know, Pour it on at that point. Fair enough. But this is the problem with Jorge. I've said this before. Like everyone's, I, I, I said this on the live chat yesterday. And I saw people making fun of me because I was like, you know, none of, I didn't say none, but like I said, very few of his losses, Jorge's losses are memorable. And of course, everyone brings up the Toby Amato loss from Bellator, which was, you know, submission of the year that year. Okay, fine. The Toby Amato loss is quite memorable. But you throw that out, you know, do people really remember the, the Lorenz Larkin loss? Do they remember the Hendo loss? How many of his losses can you name? He's got 14 of them. How many can you name? Okay, you got Toby Amata. I just gave you one. Toby Amata, Lorenz Larkin, Hendo, uh, and now Kamara Usman. You got 10 more to go. How memorable are those 10? Not very memorable. Demi and Maya, you could throw in there. Steven Thompson. Okay, now you got six. You got eight more to go. You know, are they that memorable? Not, not exactly, right? It's because... The, the, he, he runs into people that might have a real particular skill set that might be better, but it's hard for them to just dominate him. He, he's not, he's so talented, you can't really do it. But the problem is he ends up just being on the, the losing end of a lot of these kinds of moments where he runs into like somebody who's just very talented, like Kamaru Usman or back in his strike force days, Gilbert Melendez, there's a ninth for you, you know, where it's not like he sucks or something. He's, he, he, he may, you know, uh, the scores don't quite reflect, you know, how talented he is and, the, and what, how hard he made Kamaru work, right? I mean, he had 50-45s against Woodley. Did that fight look to you like the Woodley fight in terms of the success Kamaru had? Not to me. Now, a couple of the, Woodley also had, or uh, Kamaru had a couple of 50-44s in that fight. But I'm just sort of pointing out, man, like, it, it, you know, Jorge is either, uh, he either wins emphatically or he loses in these kinds of ways where it's like, you know, either it's a split decision that could have gone his way or someone might have been better that night, but not in some kind of way where they like, you know, 
really stuck it to him. It's very, very seldom does that happen. Very seldom because he's so well-rounded. And so, you know, at 35 uh, with, you know, uh, let's call it relatively late notice given some of the other factors I had previously mentioned, I think if you're a Jorge Masvidal fan, there's a lot to take with you from this one. You know, the thing that made him be in the fight for BMF, the next time he comes out, let's say they match him up with, let me pick some a contender here, right? Let's sort of look at the rankings. So who who might they give him next? Just imagining things, right? And this is no guarantee. If they give him Colby, are you not going to be excited for that? You might say, well, it could be the same kind of fight, but maybe, maybe not, right? If they give him Leon... <laughs> Actually, you know, it could be kind of dicey for him because he probably beats Tyron. Um, but I don't think Tyron's eligible for that fight anyway. Leon Edwards is very good about slowing fights down and like just sort of controlling them in a similar kind of way. So that would be kind of interesting. I still think Jorge's better than him, but still. Gilbert is weird because he's probably going to fight Kamaru next. I thought if Jorge won, he'd get McGregor next. Um... But okay, they say they gave him RDA, right? You know, top 10 guy. Are you not under the impression that Jorge is going to go out there and just do the things that Jorge does normally? I mean, of course you are. Now, again, I apologize for touching my nose. I know it's quite distracting and awful. I, 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 I had an allergy attack before the show. I took my Allegra. I feel better. But in any event, it brings us to this point. Kamar Usman, in my judgment, is quite clearly the very best welterweight on the planet. It does not make him the most exciting. It does not make him the most lovable. It does not make him the fan favorite or the one that the fighters always sort of laud and magnify. It's not what it does, but it does make him the most dominant. It does. He he is, he is in his weaknesses, in terms of like striking as a weakness, he is appropriately strong in the places that he needs to be, a.k.a. defense. He is a hulk of a human being. He is just ridiculous stupid strong he is an excellent wrestler he has a good chin he has a great strategy he's got a good team behind him he is a formidable challenge he is a very very formidable challenge and so I think you kind of have to get used to that a little bit and I, I you know I, I don't think people respect him enough man they really don't this is the thing it's like I saw so many people have before this fight being like oh Jorge is gonna knock him the fuck out and like yes Jorge is capable of knocking anyone out in that division okay but like if you knew how good Kamaru is in the ways in which he is good, did that seem likely to you? If you're a fan, I get it. You got the blinders on. Okay, fine. But for everybody else, what's your excuse? Like, that seems kind of weird, you know? Um, if Kamaru was going to win also, as I said, it was going to look exactly like this. This was, you know, in that sense, a little bit. You, got, you should have had some anticipation about that, I think, a little bit. Um, so where he goes from here, I think Kamaru Usman will probably fight Gilbert Burns. I don't know when that's going to be. That one should be a little bit more strike-friendly because taking down Burns, while probably doable for Kamaru, exists at a much greater submission risk. Again, Jorge is quite good with his submissions, but I don't think he's got the guard that Gilbert Burns does. Not many people in the UFC do. You know, very, Not many people in the MMA do. Fuck that, you know. UFC, welterweight division, whatever, in all of MMA, there's not a whole lot of black belt world champions inside MMA, right? Legitimate ones. And Gilbert is. So that's probably what's next for Kamaru. I, as I mentioned, 
you had Jorge Masvidal on the cover of EA Sports. Um, for the sorry, not EA Sports, uh, the UFC video game rather for the fourth iteration of the UFC video game. The things that people like about him weren't really challenged here. I think Kamaru is going to have a bit of a hard time convincing fans to like him given his fight style. But if you're a real hardcore fight fan and what you appreciate is greatness, you should put some respect on his name because he is incredibly talented. All right. All right. We can come back to it. If you have a question and you put some money down, I'll get to it at the end. No doubt about it. Okay. Uh, and as I mentioned before, you can subscribe now and you can donate in the super chat and you can give the video a thumbs up. All right, let me get a sip of this uh, vodka and I don't know what I, what did I put in here? OJ? Something like that? Screwdriver? Okay. Let's get to this second fight, your co-main, because I honestly feel like this is the one that's going to make people the craziest. Uh, who's this person tweeting me? Someone, some Grammy-nominated record producer just tweeted me. He's the most boring, for sure, talking about Kamaru. See what I mean? But I doubt he's much of a real fight fan. Um, okay. Let's get to this, uh, let's get to this co-main. Because I feel like this is the one <laughs> that's going to have people irate. Irate. Okay. What do you want to say about the co-main event? If you didn't see the results, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky wins. He defeats Max Holloway 47-48-48-47-48-47. How did I score it? I had it 48-47 probably for Max. When I say probably, what do I mean? I'll get to that in just a moment. First thing, I have to come to you with a mea culpa. Okay? Technically... I was right that Volkanovsky would win, but not really, because I thought it, I don't know if I thought the second time would be more of a victory, I just thought that the second time, at a bare minimum, wouldn't be any less of a victory than the first one, and it for sure is that. Um, Max Holloway looked phenomenal, at least for two rounds. The last three rounds, I'll talk about in just a second, but the major insight was I thought that Volkanovsky had these setups and these uh, single, double, sometimes triple feints on his way to confusing people. And if you look at the first fight, it really worked. Max was kind of confused for the better part of three rounds, right? I mean, you, if, I, had, I think I had the first fight 49-46, but you could score it 48-47 for Volkanovsky. I don't think you could give three rounds to Max. Um, in the first three rounds, you watch Max and you're like, dude, he's clearly confused about what is happening here. That was not the case this time. Max had a significantly better game plan. I really take my hat off to him and his team because they proved me wrong. I mean, yes, Volkanovski won, but almost accidentally, quite honest. Um, Max made a gr Max Max proved a point here. I I thought that if Volkanovski won a second time. There really wouldn't be a case for a third fight. Bullshit. There is absolutely a case for a third fight here. Uh, I don't know if the UFC is going to make that, but in my judgment, you could and you probably should. Um, first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is, I think what really bothers people here 
is that Max won the first two rounds. Now, those are not 10-8 rounds, but they're, I mean, abundantly clear Max rounds. You think he dropped them in the first round. He may have dropped them in the second round, too. He dropped them twice. I forget what he dropped them the second time. But Max did a lot of things different. First of all, the front kicks were great. He was all his attacks up the middle where he would let Volkanovski come to him rather than chasing him down. And when he did, he had the knees up the middle. As I mentioned, the front kicks, the uppercuts, holy shit, they were phenomenal. Phenomenal by Max. I mean, such a great adjustment, such a great read by him and his team. I, I'm honestly just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed because I did not think it could be done, and I was wrong, totally wrong. Here is the problem with this fight. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but you need to hear this. If you scored it for Max, you are not wrong. Okay? Quite clearly, you're not wrong. You can give him the first two, no sweat. And I don't think you could give him the fifth, but you could give him the third or the fourth. So, I wouldn't have even mind, minded if one of the scorecards was 49-46 Max. I don't think that's unjustifiable. 50-45... I couldn't vibe with, but 49-46 I could vibe with, okay? Here's the problem, <laughs> and I know some people are going to hate this, but just hear me out for a second. The problem is 48-47 for Volkanovski is justifiable. Now, what do I mean by that? Does that mean that I agree? Not really. Does that mean that you should agree? No, it isn't. But when people blame the judges here, you are training your guns on the wrong target. The problem with this fight, to me, lays bare every criticism I have made of the 10-9 must system for fucking years at this point. The problem with this fight is that you and I can both look at what happened, and when it's over, you're like, I think Max, Max should have won that one, right? Or you can even say affirmatively, yo, Max won that one. You know, okay, Volkanovski made some adjustments later and blah, 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 but Max won that one. Under pride rules, or now one championship rules, where you judge a fight as a whole, I don't see any way Max doesn't win. I, by the way, I have said this before. I think that the one system, I mean, one is run by, you know, Chatri Sityatong, who is just a weirdo in every capacity whatsoever. Uh, and that organization pretends to have success that it doesn't have. There are so many criticisms you could make of one. But one thing you cannot take away from them is that they were right to pick the scoring criteria that they did. Everybody wants to put scoring criteria into place that gets overly specific as a, as a way of having a guide, uh, guiding uh, system, right? Where it's like we have just enough nuance, we don't have to leave things to chance. But the reality is the more layers of complexity, I think, that you put on scoring criteria the worse that it gets. You do want to have some things that you value more than others. You do want to have some clarity about what matters and what doesn't. But when you just score a fight as a whole and you sort of look at it in that perspective rather than round by round, I find you get much better results. That's my personal opinion. You know, your, your mileage may vary because here is the central problem with this fight. Under the 10-9 must system, I'm not saying I agree but I understand a 48-47 Volkanovsky scorecard. I do. I'm sorry, I do. I know that's not going to be what people want to hear. I'm not telling you you have to agree because you can have a scorecard, 48-47 for Max. 
I'd agree with that too. As I mentioned, you can have a scorecard. 49-46 for Max. I'd agree with that one too. I wouldn't take any issue with that at all. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly the thing I am trying to tell you about. If your scoring criteria is so fucked up that not only can you have two different winners in the same sort of scenario, but that they can go from you know, a, a 3-2 barely for one guy to a heavy 4-1 the other way, something is wrong. Your scoring criteria is not very effective at capturing what matters in winning fights. That's the problem to me. And folks are like, how could you find three rounds for Volkanovsky? Okay, fifth round seems fairly straightforward for the most part. Fourth round, I think folks would want to give it to him, maybe, if they were being generous, let's say. So let's say it's four and five for him. So then round three is that swing round. Now, again, I thought Max, I think Max took that one for me. But do I understand it given that they were very, very close in striking and it wasn't exactly clear that one guy, I think, I could be wrong about this, put their stamp on the other one. Yes, I do think that makes it hard to judge. Whenever you have relatively, what was the output on that fight? Let's see here. That will help us understand this a little bit. Let's see. What was the output? Okay, round three. Yeah, Max only landed 15 significant strikes, just 18 total in that round. Uh, Volkanovski landed 25 of 52. Round three, Volkanovski landed 34. Holloway, uh, 27. Again, these are numeric scores, not qualitative scores. And then in round five, Volkanovski, 37. Holloway, just 26. Folks, I have news for you. That's a numeric score, not a qualitative one. I get what I'm trying to explain to you is when output is that low, which is not super low, but moderately low, and the numbers are that tight, right? Where you have, in the case of 27 to 18, you don't even have a two-digit uh, integer difference. It's just a, sort of nine here in this case, right? Whenever you have that, and Max, by the way, stuff to take down, so that didn't go anywhere, okay? Whenever you have low output, it's relatively close in numeracy, and you don't know what each individual judge saw or didn't, which I'll explain in a second, and you don't know their individual preferences for what they think matters and what doesn't, whether they're even aware of it or not. Some of those biases are conscious. Some of them are unconscious. This is exactly how you get scores like this. It's exactly how it happens every time. When I say... Oh, you know, we were watching at home. It seemed so clear to some of us. Right. Understand something. And this is impossible to believe unless you have experienced it. This is why I tell people, please, for the love of God, when your local community starts putting on local fights again, pay the money to get a fucking ringside or cage side seat. Watch the fights and then go home and see what it looks like on video if that's an opportunity for you. They don't look the same. Not every time, not all the time, often. Often, and the judges don't sit together. They sit in different cage positions. And so, from our position, which is the one from television, did it look like Max probably should have taken round three? Yes, it did. I think m many observers, if not most, would agree with that. The problem is, it may not have looked that way to two of those judges. In fact, quite clearly it didn't. And then the fourth and the fifth rounds, they just sort of rode with Volkanovsky at that point anyway. So 
if you want to be irate, I'm not telling you to not be irate. What I'm trying to tell you is look at the layers of failure baked into this scoring criteria where we don't know what that person saw and heard relative to that person, relative to this person, relative to the camera, and how each of those things impacts assessment. On top of that, you add in their conscious biases and their unconscious biases. Are they a former boxing judge or are they not? Are they someone who wrestled at some level or are they not? Are they jiu-jitsu black belts or are they not? Do they prefer you know, strikers versus grapplers or vice versa or do they not? All of those things bake into perception. Then you add two guys who were very competitive for those final three rounds. It was close. Dude, this is what you're going to get every fucking time. You think this is the last time this is going to happen? You're going to get it again and again and again and again. Because the, the scoring criteria makes it this way. It's not a fucking accident. It's not. It's not. Everybody wants to be like, those fucking judges, they're so incompetent. I'm not here to defend their competency per se. But even if they're just, you know, mediocre in terms of their competency, a bad scoring criteria and a bad system is going to make a, a, even a, a good to like, okay, judge, bad. It's what you're going to get. This is what I'm trying to tell folks. You want to be mad? Be mad. You know, but just train your guns on the right target. The right target is the scoring system because a 49, well, not 49, a 48 47 for Volkanovsky, while incomprehensible to certain people, I'm telling you, man, I've been around enough, the, the fight game enough to see this shit just keeps happening. Why does it keep happening even when they shuffle out the judges? Oh, we have to get good judges. Dude, I've seen fights where you had three good judges and they can't agree. They can't agree. So why is that? It's because the system they are operating in makes them this way. Good judges or mediocre judges in a bad system are not going to give you optimal results. That's why we are where we are. That's why it looks like what it looks like. Okay? So I know it probably sucks to hear that. You know, here I am telling you, like, you got to appreciate Kamaru, and then you have to kind of accept this result. I'm not telling you have to accept the result as, like, a great demonstration of accuracy or something. But in a system this open-ended that allows for all that nonsense to be baked into assessment. And the judges, by the way, they may not use their monitors. They may not have access to instant replay in the way that we do. They don't have access to the numbers. They don't talk to anybody else. And they have to write their score down immediately after every round. They have to turn it in. Someone collects it. Or there's an electronic system where they have to put it in and they don't get it back. Right? So, boom, they got to fire it in before the next round starts. It's a fucking terrible way to judge fights. It is a terrible way to judge fights. And I don't think it's the best. I think a system that sort of takes a step back and says, wait a second, which guy really showed himself to put it on the other guy? Because if you judge it by the one or the pride system, you'd say, wow, Max won two rounds. Even if you want to give Volkanovsky the last three, he never won any of those in the way that Max won the first two. Right, So what you could say under the one system is, okay, maybe Volkanovski kind of edged it out in the last round, right? And, and, and uh, 
Max took the first two. So what do we do about rounds three and four? Kind of a wash, right? Something like that. So then you would just give it to Max. But we don't have that system, do we? We have a system where each round has to count. And what you do in that round, even if you got dropped early in the fight, if you just kind of eke it out after that, good enough. Good enough, man. So how did he do it? Um, as I mentioned before, man, those initial assessments by Max and the changes were phenomenal. But if you noticed, the head kick stopped landing in the third, fourth, and fifth round for Volkanovski because he took it away. First of all, he had higher defense. And what I kind of noticed was he was... He went back to the well. He was not as creative in the first two rounds relative to the first fight as Max was. Max was much more creative and new and different here. In the rounds three through five, again, however you scored them, I think you would agree they were more competitive than rounds one and two. Volkanovski was able to, to me, he was just way more active. Number one with takedown attempts. He had one in round three. He had two in round four. And he had six in the uh, fifth round. So number one, that changed it. But two, he was just constantly shoulder fainting. Constantly. I, one thing he was doing was, in the first fight, he would anticipate Holloway crashing into him and he would crack him. And he would also find ways to like get his way inside and back Max up. Max didn't back up this time. Right? So what would Max do? He would fire the uppercut or the knee up the middle and he would catch him. How did Volkanovski get around that? He would use angle change constantly left to right he was almost snaking his way inside to find an opening so rather than like you know i'm gonna shoulder faint shoulder faint jab stance switch and then come over the top he would he would do things like i'm gonna shift out shift out shift out shift out and then finally when he got sort of incrementally closer um land a shot right and so that was that was some of the adjustments he had made and that that muted max a little bit because it took away some of his adjustments, and it took away and it enabled him to not get subject to the blitz the same way he was before. Uh, so and also you know going high low sort of not exactly like Kamaru did, but you know establishing some kind of a takedown threat uh, also I think slowed Max down a little bit. I mean, listen, here's the funny part about this fight that no one's going to want to hear. You, it. It was amazing to see Max's adjustments from round five of the last fight to rounds one and two in this one. But I have to say, I am kind of impressed with Volkanovski's adjustments in rounds three, four, and five. Again, we've been over the fucking scoring a million times. I'm just saying he wasn't getting hit with the same weapons anymore. So how did he take the ones from one and two away? You know, and then the round three, four, and five, Max was landing. And well, by the way, uh, Volkanovski was able to find the jab. I think getting Max to come square coming inside and hitting him with the jab, that was really nice. Uh, he landed a little bit more in the fourth and fifth rounds. I'm going to have to go through and break down the fight a little bit to, to get more granular detail. But um, for sure, he was not being hit with the same weapons later that he was being hit earlier. And th that's a credit to him. That's a credit to him. I mean, the question is where they go from here. Like, I don't, I, I don't know, y'all. I don't know, man. That's a tough one because um, Max is in a hard spot because you can make the case that he won this, you know, without a whole lot of controversy. And uh, he's lost twice to the same guy who happens to be the champion. 
Are they going to give him a third one? Again, I think that they should. I doubt that they will because that's not a thing that they do. Which means what's he supposed to do? Hang around 145 some more and then find a third opportunity? Maybe. If you go up to 155, that's an opportunity as well. And I think, I'm not, I don't know how well that goes. It's hard to say. Um, but, you know, losing to Poirier and the way that he did, this, I guess at a bare minimum, what it would mean is that he can't just automatically go up there and have success. So this was, this is why I didn't want this fight to happen the way that it did. You know, if you had given Max a little bit more time, again, I was, I, I mean, I couldn't be clear about this. I, I did not expect him to have the adjustments he did in rounds one and two. And man, it was, those were phenomenal. But like, that's why I don't like immediate rematches. Whatever you're scoring, you know, the reality is what the reality is. Volkanovsky's won two of them. You could say it's fair or not. It, it's what's in the record books. And that often happens, man. It happens all the time when they do back-to-back fights like this. I hate it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. And because it puts some guy like Max, who maybe should have a belt around his waist today, in a, in, a, in a point now where it's like you were that close to having a belt, and now what you have is two losses in a row to the same guy, and it might force you out of the weight class. <laughs> Shit, man. I, you know, folks might be asking, how do you get around the 10-point must system to fix problems like this? And the answer is, I've, I've long believed that the, uh, the UFC should experiment creatively with scoring criteria whenever they go abroad. Not every time, but they should at least try. And they don't. They just keep the 10-point must system. And so as long as that's the case... Uh, you're gonna, gonna you're gonna you're gonna keep getting stuff like this. There's gonna be somebody you like down the line that's gonna have a new, sort of a relatively similar situation as this one, and they're gonna end up on the back end of a scoring uh, result that you hate. But remember this conversation, and I'm warning you, it's going to happen again and again and again. This is the inevitable result of this scoring system. It will bring you back to this very conversation we're having over and over again, and folks are gonna say. You know, what about the judges? What about them, folks? <laughs> you know, go be a judge. Replace them. Make them lose their job. You know, I don't know what to tell you. But it, it, the, the consequences are so dire. And we have put dire consequences in the hands of a system that is super fucked up. Not like a little fucked up, super fucked up. And I don't know how to, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how to, like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. It's where we are. By the way, some of the overall numbers on this, to, for whatever it's worth, Volkanovsky landed 132 of 272. Holloway landed 102 of just 268. In their last fight, both of them landed more. Although Holloway... Uh, yeah, both landed more. In the first fight, Holloway landed 134. Volkanovski landed 157. Um, a little bit different there. Oops, sorry. Pull this back up. Uh, targeting. Holloway targeted the body 26%, and then the legs 30%. In the first fight, he targeted the body 23%, and then the legs just 12 so he clearly, and by the way, he would do that thing where he get kicked in the legs and then he would immediately respond, you know? He had a nice strategy, man. 
We had a real nice strategy. It's a shame. <laughs> we are where we are, you know? Uh, and then it takes us to the last of the three title fights. Peter Yan defeating Jose Aldo at 325 of the fifth round. Speaking of the referee in this particular case. Um, yeah, that one could have been stopped a little earlier. I don't quite have the same revulsion for that one as I think some people do, but yes, I can agree that it went on a little too long to the point where Aldo could barely move even when the fight was stopped. He was just sort of stuck in this face-down position after just getting banged on for the longest time. You know, he's 33 years old, man, but he's a lot older than that in MMA years. You know, he has had a shitload of miles put on him. And, you know, he lost those two fights via stoppage to Ma to Max. Then he lost one to Volkanovski, which was not like a terrible beating, but okay. And he had the two wins, Steven and Stevens and Moicano, but Stevens kind of hurt him initially. And then he uh, had the fight against Morais, and now this one. He's, you know, he's had some tough fights, man. He's had some miles put on him. Um, how did how did Jan win this fight? Uh, one, you saw some leg kicks in the orthodox stance. You then saw Jan switch to southpaw. Uh, I don't know if that entirely eliminated the reason for the leg kicks, but it could have because a lot of guys don't want to bring the rear leg when you have open stance. They don't want to bring the rear leg all the way around in front because it's easy to check, uh, and so you can get the shin-on-shin -shin problems. So that could be a reason. Um Hard to say exactly, but that probably contributed to it. The other thing from Southpaw that I noticed that um, Jan was able to do was uh, Aldo, he did throw combinations at times, but he throws a lot of single shots too. And if you can fire a punch over the top of the single shot, so it allowed him to throw his right over the top of Aldo's left. Not at first, but eventually he got there. But the thing that you noticed was at first they he wasn't making uh, he wasn't making Aldo work. You know, you go back and you look at the Max Holloway Aldo fights. It was it was like the best game plan you could have for beating Jose Aldo, which is you, you have to make him circle and move, right? Because the more his feet have to move, the faster he tires. The faster he tires, obviously he's going to be easier to beat, and the and and he's going to be less able to throw kicks. And Max's brilliance was he went to the outside the first time around. The second time he went to the inside. And I think uh, Aldo just didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, quite, quite clearly, he didn't know how to deal with it. He got stopped basically at the end of the third round both times. Uh, you didn't see that a lot from Peter Jan at first. But, um, you know, he, him being in the open stance allowed him to, you know, land his rear leg to the body of Aldo. And then he started going jabs to the body of Aldo. And then he really began to pressure into him. When he was giving Aldo space and Aldo was standing his ground, he wasn't having a ton of success. But when he was like barreling into him and then pushing him backwards, that's when you really saw things uh, start to change for Peter. That's when he was really starting to have some success. So um, I think, you know, the right guy won. I had Aldo winning, I think, fuck, I think I had him winning one or maybe maybe two rounds, maybe some, something like that. I mean, he made a pretty decent account of himself. Um, but look, basically, I think the blueprint on this guy is out there a little bit. It's, not everyone's going to be able to do it. Only your best guys are going to be able to do it. Um, 
but the, the the reality is if you can make the guy move and work um, and you could pressure into him and you saw also Jan would like blitz a little bit off the off a punch from Aldo then he would step inside and he would smother Aldo's punches while he was able to like launch something at a tight angle himself um, he was very effective at that um, he just has he just had more tools you know skills win fights and you know he doesn't maybe have some of the like the lights out things that Aldo has done uh, or had in his repertoire over time but he's got like he can fight from either stance you know he can kickbox at uh, at range he can fight on the inside and in clinches he has phenomenal scrambling ability he had good ground and pound he just has a lot of gears he can hit and in that weight class, that's just going to be something you have to have. You have to have this ability to fight on all different kinds of terms. And uh, what Jan showed was that he could fight on different kinds of terms. And because he has that versatility in all those ways, it just allows him a certain degree of um, flexibility in what he's able to do. Jesus Christ, my nose is running like a motherfucker right now. Good Lord. I've actually got my mask. I'm going to use my mask, y'all. I'm sure some of you... Right-wing lunatics think that's probably the best use for my mask. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so, Peter Jan ends up winning, you know. Uh, the body work is key. Making Aldo move his feet is key. Making him back up is key. Making him turn is key. Uh, either way, you want to make him turn. All of those things take away his greater abilities and they make him work, which makes him desperate. When he gets desperate, he makes poor choices. If you just stand in front of him, he's a hard guy to fight. Uh, no, I think Aldo won the second round because he got dropped in the first round, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, but, but you know, at this point, like, what's next for him? I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what he wants to do because he's not going to win a title at 145, and he's not going to win a title uh, at 135 anytime soon. It takes you to a point where Peter Yan is going to take on Aljamain Sterling. I don't know how that one's going to go because Sterling might be able to like stick and move. You know, Yan has like shockingly good, uh, as you saw, takedown defense, and his ability to like find his way out of a bad scramble is phenomenal as well. Um, so that's going to serve him well against Sterling. But you know, at the same time, Sterling has a pretty incredible capacity for. Um, again, that range game, the stick and move kind of game. So, not sure what else to say about that fight. Uh, Rose Namajunas defeating Jessica Andrade via split. Jessica Andrade's doing a shitload of this, you know, uh, and some of it was effective. She was really good about slipping and then turning, right, and then pivoting. That actually was pretty good. But you saw pretty early Rose was able to like, you know, if you're constantly going like this, I can time that. You know, the trick is to like make it, you know, um, different, right? Where there's no real pattern. It's just it's just all over the place. She's less capable of doing that. But the two big differences was one, she at least had some head movement. That was pretty good. And as I mentioned, she could slip and pivot. That was good. The second part was that that right hand of hers was pretty clever. She could had she had the good uppercuts. She was able to, uh, I think, able to come over the top of of. Nama Yunus's jab, I was like, okay, shit. And she has big power. 
But you just saw, again, man, skills win fights. Nami Yunus's footwork is incredible. She kept the fight at center. When they clinched up, she had a great strategy. She went for a lot of tie clinches, knees up the middle. Right Again, she had some linear attacks, too. Her jab was on fire. And she did that Nate Diaz thing where if I'm firing a 1-2, you can kind of expect it because I can go pop and then you can slip. right? I, you know, Or I can like roll with the first one and then kind of get out of the way because I know that it's going to be a 1-2 on that rhythm. But she would do the Diaz thing where she would go like a 1-1-2. One, one, and then just to throw you off, she'd go 1-2. Right behind it, right? So it had this real, like, uh, the timing. She was throwing the timing off constantly. Uh, she was a, she was very good at that. But, you know, I mean, Andrade was like, she was hammering her. So I had a 29-28 for Rose. I did not have two rounds for Andrade. Third round, quite clearly for her. Rose's face was a mess, you know, quite clearly a mess. That left eye was a disaster. But uh, she got it done. She showed her skill. I think you got to make Rose Namajunas versus... Uh, Wiley Zhang at this point that seems like a no-brainer what a phenomenal contest that's going to be can't wait to hear in, uh, when that's going to be uh, again uh, uh, Rose's health obviously is the the key factor there um, but another demonstration of how strong women's straw weight is now the funny part about it too is like I know the uh, the first fight got stopped when Rose got slammed on her head but the interesting part here is if it had gone five rounds who would have won I don't know if I don't know that Jessica would have lost she rose here really benefited from the fact that it was a three round con- contest versus a five. So, you know, because if they were, they were headlining a fight night card and it was a main event, I don't know. I don't know about that one. Jessica not only hits hard, she has a great chin. Like, uh, you know, for Zhang Wiley or Wiley Zhang to, 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 to stop her with strikes in the way that she did is fucking impressive because Rose was popping her consistently, splitting her timing the whole nine yards, man. And she was still there as a force to be reckoned with all the way through that third. Um, so that was interesting. And then Amanda Hebos uh, beating Paige Van Zant. This was academic. This was big bank take little bank. 221 of the first round. There was nothing to this one. Uh, it was interesting. She had the scarf hold. She's a black belt in judo. So you know, I know people all like bag on women's MMA for those head tosses that they all do. But... In this particular case, I think it made a lot of sense because from judo, she's going to be really good at it. You saw she was securing the head toss once she was on the ground by leaning her weight on top of um, uh, uh, Paige Van Zant, so she couldn't uh, sit up. And then she would take her hand that was underneath the head, and you know, you know, you'll note she gripped her own thigh. That's how you secure that, right? So she was doing. I mean, all of it was correct. And actually, the way you get out of it, Michael Bisping was talking about like if you get your head out, you know, um, you could take the back. True. The problem is, if you have somebody who's really good at that, your your spine is bent this way. You're not here. You're actually here, and uh, um, and your there's there's the back of your head is not loose. Like you're being you're being crunched to control the spine. Um. But what Amanda Hebos did is she realized, mm, I can't quite do anything with this while I'm here because her other arm was controlled. It was actually a good thing that Paige did. So what did she do? She actually let loose the head, which could have given her back taken, but she kind of kept her hips in the same direction. And then she held onto the arm, knowing if she let go of the head, it was going to force, it was going to probably cause Paige Van Zandt to scramble, which she did. 
in that scramble, she used that space to take the back and then took the arm with it when she did. And then from the back, she you can see she tried to put the shin behind the head of Paige Van Zandt to roll her over so she could have ended up on top. It didn't work, so she went belly down with it, but then got it just the same. That was vicious. That was super vicious from... Uh, well, she had to go to guard first, and then she went belly down. But all the same, jiu-jitsu students, I say it all the time. If you go to a position, doesn't matter what it is, the back, underneath, whatever, and then you wait to get to the position before you start hunting for an arm, listen, sometimes you have to do that, right? You don't have a choice. But if you have a choice to transition from one position to the next, and you can take an arm with you as you do it, it will always be easier than if you just get to that position and now you have to go fighting for their arm because they're going to tuck it in, they're going to hold it, you know, they're going to do everything. But Hebas, dude, she forced the scramble, got the superior position, and then took the arm with her when she did. She's nasty. She's nasty. She's very talented. And so she made short work of Paige Van Zandt, which appears to be probably the end of her UFC career. MMA, I don't know. But UFC, I think it's probably going to be the end. Uh, one more note from the prelim card. Yuri... Uh, how do you pronounce this fucker's last name? Uh, Proshajka. I'm just going to call him Yuri. Defeating Volkan Uzdemir. You know, he does all these weird things that people are like, oh, what's he doing? Like, he would look at his, like, glove and kind of adjust it. And then, in between people's timing would, like, come from a weird angle and then split your timing at the same way. Right? So, he would sort of catch your timing as you're being disarmed. And then, the punch is coming from a weird angle. So, it's a lot of stuff where it was, like, disrupting people's timing forcing them to reset, coming from a weird angle, right? All kinds of stuff. Eventually that's going to that's going to that's going to cost him because I think you can do trickery like that if you minimize it a little bit and you build a more foundational game. Like Ostimir almost won this fight in spots. <sighs> Pardon me. Ostimir almost won this fight in spots, but he couldn't quite cross the finish line and then it was Yuri who um, he marries the usual with the unusual. To me, the balance isn't quite right, but you can tell like all that stuff he was doing, it was it was intentional and it was strategic. To me, build around more of the foundationals and then build those other things into it over time versus the opposite of what appears to be happening. But a nice win. He's huge. He hits hard. Um, so it's a solid win. I mean, he beat freaking Vulcan Uzdemir in his UFC debut. That is impressive as shit. Don't misunderstand me. Still, to get the most out of himself, I'd like to see a different approach. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't really care about the rest of the results. That Leo Santos-Roman uh, Bogatov fight fucking sucked. Holy shit, that fight sucked. I mean, it's not necessarily Leonardo Santos' fault, but Jesus Christ. If you got a question, now is the time to get them in. Uh, and I will take a look at them. And again, I sincerely apologize um, for being sick. I, I did not anticipate having an allergy attack before the, before the broadcast, but here we are. All right. Let's do this. Um, let's see. All right. Let's get to your questions. How would Volk or Max do against Patricio Freire? Yeah, I saw him tweeting um, that there should be Ali Ak so they can face each other. I haven't seen him fight recently. I'd have to go over the tape to have a better answer for you. I mean, at a bare minimum, they'd be competitive, right? Um, 
he's a little bit more of a uh, traditional kind of Muay Thai striker-ish. But he's got great boxing too. I mean, I think I think you know you could probably favor either of them if you wanted to. But I think um, Patricio is in the same caliber as them. I mean, he's the best fighter Bellator's ever had. That's not a small thing. Is Aldo versus Cruz a no-brainer at the moment? Oh, maybe it's not a bad call. Both are probably past contention days, but would be great for legacy and sell decent. Yeah, maybe so. Just going to uh, leave this chat to support you and piss off a lot of your fans. This person writes, I am glad Masvidal lost. I'm glad the way he lost. MMA fans were straight bullying the guy, and I will be readying their salty comments. All right, you can take that up with him. How do you think Masvidal with a full camp does? Better. How does Masvidal's stock go down? Again, not much. I don't think his stock really takes much of a hit here for the reasons I mentioned before. He, got, he took it on again. Not ideal circumstances is the way I would put it. And, you know, he got beat by a guy who did not thrill people as a consequence. And the reason why you would want to watch Masvidal doesn't really go away. <clears throat> if it was magically possible to hold fights in an endless flat world with no fence, which fighters would benefit the most? Uh, people that don't rely on the fence. <laughs> and which ones would lose out? The ones that rely on the fence. But also, people would just adapt too, right? I mean, part of the reason people use the fence is because it is highly effective. It, does that mean that they couldn't transition to something else? Not necessarily, you know. Again, this guy, that Indian dude has a lot of criticisms about MMA fans. I'll skip the second one. True or false, Masvidal and Usman could fight 100 rounds and the only two outcomes are Usman on points or Masvidal by stoppage. True. Why do you think Masvidal didn't get off the warning track after the second round? It's almost like he was inviting Usman to continue clinching. Um, probably to preserve energy. Uh, also, Usman's pretty good about like shoving you backwards in ways. So it's not as easy. It's easier said than done. Maybe he thought he had better takedown defense um, against the fence than he did sprawling out in the open. Could be a lot of reasons. In my opinion, it would have been a much different fight with Masvidal full camp. He looked tired and not as mobile. Well, the other part is his style really requires a lot of mobility. He has to bounce and then he's not like Whitaker where he bounce and bursts, but he has to bounce and find timing or bounce in, bounce out. Like he's kind of got to be on his feet. People like it would have been a much different fight. I don't think so. I don't know that. Believe me, I do not know that. But I just feel like there's a lot of people who like are letting their love of Masvidal and their dislike of Usman cloud their judgment about how they match up. You shouldn't do that. But maybe I'm wrong. Five fights in five hours. Hooray? <laughs> Not exactly. Uh, would you agree that Holloway Volko decision was fundamentally egregious? I know you're making fun of me there. Uh, no, I would not. I would. I would. Uh, I would argue that the scoring criteria is fundamentally egregious and the system is egregious wear your mask yes you should folks now i've wiped snot on mine so you shouldn't wear this one but the other ones you should someone says you're the man thank you mike uh with what mcgregor had said about fighters being stuck in the mud do you think aldo's flat-footed style led to his loss no the flat-footed style well in the sense that Okay, flat-footed in the sense that Jan accommodated him, it worked just fine. But again, once he made him start working, that was the problem. 
Did rounds one and rounds two cause Max to like go close? Wait, what is it? Did rounds one and rounds two to Max cause close rounds to go to Alex? Maybe. There might be some judging psychology that way. But I really think the difference is that the things that he was doing in the first and second round, I should say the big things, Alex kind of minimized them in rounds three, four, and five. And so the contest was a little bit more even at that point. Do you think the casual audience will think the main and co-main were boring? Yes, they will. I think hardcore fans probably love them, but I can imagine more casual fans will feel let down. I don't give a shit. They'll come back around when there's a big fight. I don't give a fuck. If you don't like MMA, then you don't like MMA. I'm not here to police people's fandom anymore, you know? And, you know, I know what they'll say, like, oh, this was boring. Really? First of all, I'll give UFC credit, you know, 9,000 COVID tests is a shitload. Granted, the Abu Dhabi government is bankrolling it, but okay, they're pulling it off. They were pulling it off at Apex without Abu Dhabi. Like, you got to give the UFC some credit at this point. I know everyone thinks that, like, I'm COVID-obsessed. I don't think this country is nearly as COVID-conscious as it needs to be. But I'll give UFC credit. Like, they're the ones holding sports when a lot of other leagues. I know, you know, is NBA going to have a full season? We'll see. Is there even going to be college sports this fucking year? I have my doubts. Is there going to be an NFL season? We will. We will see. None of that shit is a given. And here the UFC is rocking and rolling. So those people can fucking... They can they can go eat a bag of dicks. I don't give a shit what their opinion is, uh, number one. And number two, these are the same people who are like, yeah, UFC 249 was great. It's the same stupid motherfuckers who will come back around the next time. Fuck those people. I don't give a shit what they think. Oh, by the way, Gilbert Burns was right, you donks. Uh, yeah, he was. Actually, he said it would be boring, and it was. Uh, someone says, the value of Rogan, and to a lesser extent DC and Cruz, was highlighted tonight. Bisping and Anik just didn't feel like... International Fight Week. Well, I mean, I think those guys did their best, number one. Number two, the only thing I would say as a criticism of the production, by the way, I didn't hear Ron Perlman do the intro when the pay-per-view broadcast went. I know people in the UK heard it. I'm telling you, in North America, we didn't hear shit. So that was weird. And then the commentary you couldn't hear for like the first minute, and then they fixed that, so that was weird. So someone, somebody fucked that up. But my only criticism about... um, Bisping, I actually feel like he's really come around as a commentator. And I said this, man. I thought his commentary with um, Poirier and Hooker was fantastic. It was phenomenal. Tonight, to me, I don't have much to say in the way of negative things. I think they did the best they could for the most part with the situation that they had. You know, My only criticism was he was just too relentlessly positive. And he was like, I'm not saying anything bad about people. I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. You know, like not everyone is perfect. Uh, people make mistakes. Some fighters are better than others. Some people do smart shit in a fight. Some people do dumb shit. Like, just say it. And if they get mad, then they get mad, you know? Like, um, it's like the opposite of the way he was when he was a fighter. Where he was like relentlessly, you know, critical. It's like, come on, man. Do your, do your thing, you know, say what you feel. And I know he's, you know, it's hard because you want to be nice to these guys and you have to see them later. And, you know, I'm not saying be a dick. Okay. But uh, it was just constantly like, both guys are great. Everyone's doing great here. And I'm like, mm, you know, Mike knows, Mike knows that not everyone was doing great. And I get it. He's trying to be a nice guy. He's trying to be agreeable. It's not like the end of the world what I'm pointing out. And I think he has really come a long way as a commentator. And I'll say it one more time. I thought he was absolutely the star of the show 
in terms of the commentary for the Poirier versus Hooker fight. But for tonight, it was just a little too like everyone gets a participation trophy kind of thing. Um, tell these casuals that it's up to Masvidal to win in the clinch, not Usman's job to swing and pray. Again, they can, you know, I don't, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, like, oh, fucking Usman is boring. I watch fights two times a year. Uh, you know, if you're a hardcore fan, you thought he was boring, you know, we can talk about it. But if you're one of these assholes who just swings in when McGregor fights or Masvidal, I mean, I don't give a shit if you feel like they, they wasted their money. Good. Fuck them. Uh, never will be a legend due to being boring. Tell that to GSP. Right, but GSP is not, that's not exactly true because GSP was exciting in certain parts. And through his come up, he was extremely exciting. So that's a bit of a misnomer about him. Uh, please consider doing a breakdown of a past fight that was considered a robbery of judges so more fans can understand what the term actually means. Uh, I've, I actually called the worst fight the worst robbery in MMA history. Uh, Chase Beebe versus Mike Easton. I was there, cage side, and I called it. That was unbelievable. Uh, true or false, it's still not clear who's better between Max and Volkanovsky. Ooh. Um... I've got it five, five through ten rounds. Max won tonight, perhaps more convincingly than he lost the last time. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I guess you could say it's up in the air. Sure. Sure. I don't think that's crazy. Thank you, Luke. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, AK. Ak. Uh, Alexander gave something. Thank you, buddy. Rochester says... I don't know what the fuck this means. Too big? He couldn't get away with holding at 185? I think you're talking about like Jorge or um, Kamaru? Jorge versus Covington for the next title shot after Burns, or do you feel he's two fights away from a rematch? The X factor there is uh, Leon Edwards, what they're going to do with him. That's the part that gets a little tricky. Holloway versus Barboza? I mean, that'd be fun as shit if he wants it. I wouldn't say no to it. I, too, this person writes, am dealing with a mean sinus attack. Plowing through it. Got to make that cheddar, son. Yes, sir. Doing my best. Sorry for uh, blowing my, sn my snot everywhere. Uh, head PE. Shouts to those boys. Thanks for the 20 bucks. I appreciate it. Will says Max got robbed. Um, I don't, I, you know. I've made my point clear about this. So it is rolled eighth. says the same thing. Does Usman get the BMF belt? No. He does not. Uh, Max wasn't even able to train for this fight. How much more impressive does that make his performance? Well, first of all, y'all notice Max had a real nice tan? <laughs> I mean, at a bare minimum, he was spending some time, you know, getting some vitamin D. He looked like he had some fucking... He had a killer tan, you know? Uh... Number one. Number two, I, you know, how much do y'all believe that? Like, he was just training over Zoom. I mean, I'm sure that was part of it, right? But, like, he didn't do any sparring? Like, not a day? Maybe, you know. Again, here's my point. Do a third one. Like, like do a third one. And, you know, this is over Zoom shit. Fuck that. Max, go train in California. You got money. You know? Fly them boys from Gracie Technics out there and go train in California, okay? Although they're, you know, who knows what the fuck's gonna happen in that state, too, but... Uh, more people said Max got robbed. 
Someone says, if Masvidal was going to get Connor if he won, why can't Kamaru get him now? If you're Connor McGregor, why the fuck would you fight Kamaru Usman? He's going to do the exact same shit to you. Come on. Silly. Uh, Max won that fight, but he got the Reyes treatment. Here for the breakdown. Jose Mourinho. You don't have to love me. You don't even have to like me, but you will respect me. All right? People keep saying Max won. Again, no issue with it. With a huge audience watching Usman for once, should he have played it so safe? Dude, this is what he does. If he overwhelms someone, it's because he's able to overwhelm them. Dude, Jorge is hard to overwhelm. Okay, let's go through his fucking record here because I am tired of making this argument. Let's go through his losses, shall we? Okay, prior to tonight, he lost to Steven Thompson. Unanimous decision, but it wasn't like he got... I mean, it was, a, it was you know... Thompson looked good, but um, Jorge was marching him down through the third, okay? Before that, Demi and Maya, split decision. Take that for what it is worth. Lorenz Larkin, split decision. Benson Henderson, split decision. Alaya Quinta, split decision. The Rustam Havilov fight, I would give to Rustam. Uh, Gilbert Melendez, same for that one. Paul Daly, probably for that one too. Now we're going to some deep cuts. Luis Palomino, split decision. And there's the Toby Imada loss. And then prior to that, he lost to Rodrigo. Damn, he got stopped there. And then now we're all the way back in 2005. He lost to Paul Rodriguez via submission. And then he fought Rafael Asuncao in 2005. So really, since, let's say, 10 years ago, uh, or even Strike Force, let's count Strike Force. The Melendez one, I thought was fair. Rustam Havilov, I thought was fair. I thought he beat Al. I thought he beat Benson. And I thought he beat Lorenz. I did not think he beat Demian. I did not think he beat Stefan, Stephen Thompson. I did not think he beat Kamaru. But the point being is, as I keep trying to tell folks, um, he's hard to overwhelm, dude. He's hard, It's very difficult. And so you get a guy who is like dominant but needs to be like really dominant to like step on the gas in that sense against a guy who's got very good defense, you know. Is Usman a Hall of Famer? No, not yet. Wow, somebody left fucking $100. Jesus. Uh, it's Luke. Let's go. Great night of fights. Max won that, but again, here for the breakdown. Yeah, appreciate it, bud. Poirier said Jorge was preparing like he got a fight by bringing in high-level wrestlers and being in the gym every day. The fans have got to stop making excuses for Jorge. Well, I don't think that was exactly Jorge at 100%. Um, I'm willing to admit that. How about Trevor Whitman and Usman's corner? Fucking Trevor Whitman is a genius. Wow. Trevor Whitman is a genius. I mean, everything he was saying, you were like, oh, fuck, that is good advice. Shit, you know? Is Paige done? In the UFC, probably. How does DC win next month? He's going to be able to really get in close and tight in that clip. I'll say this. I think that that close, uh, the small cage benefits him. True or false? Zhang Wiley will stop Nama Yunus. Ooh, I have no idea. Jesus, I have no idea. Um, false, I guess. I don't know. Henry Cejudo comes out of retirement to fight Volkanovski. Doubt it. Page will join Bellator. True. Usman will break GSP's record. I don't know which one that is. Cormier will beat Stipe by decision. I'll say false. I think if he wins, he wins via stoppage. Or he loses via stoppage. Either way. I feel the judges fall victim to the perception of a fighter winning a round because they didn't because they did better 
than the previous round, not because they won that round. It's an interesting theory. I have no idea what to make of it. Why should we respect Usman for winning like that? He didn't outskill or outbrutalize Masvidal. He is just bigger than him. Well, Carter, my friend, uh, if you think he won that because he is bigger, then I hate to tell you this, but you don't know what you're looking at. Because that is, yes, size is a component. That is skill. That is skill. Jorge Masvidal is super fucking skilled. And in order to beat him, size will help you. Certainly, I think that it did. I think we all have to acknowledge that. I don't think people understand how talented Kamaru Usman is. They equate his ability to entertain them with his level of skill. And that is not it. I even wrote on Twitter, Usman will shoot and people will get... So if you shoot on someone, right? Here come the arms. What do you want to do to stop that? There's a lot of things you can do. You can sprawl. You can down block. A lot of times you'll see guys just dig underhooks. Sorry. To catch the elbow, right? So they come underneath. Jorge Masvidal was able to catch the underhook a lot. He was driving the underhook underneath the arms of Masvidal. Sorry, uh, uh, Usman. Usman just found a way around it. Every time, virtually. You know how hard that is to do? (laughs) That is stupid hard. He had to be patient at it sometimes. He had to just like, you know, um, use some of his reach at times. But like, he had to. He usually had to set it up by by finding ways to sneak in the underhook after the fact, and then creating motion with a takedown to get it. Like, dude, he is crazy skilled. You can like that fact or you can hate that fact, but it's a fact. Uh, do you think headbutts were semi-intentional? No. What about a point system? Assigning points for strikes, takedowns, escapes. The problem with that is that the theory goes is that people will fight to those points rather than more creatively. Uh, on Fight Island, this person asks... Here we go. Wait, are we? Jesus Christ, there's a fuckload of questions. i got to fire through these things. On Fight Island, does Gulf State Prince get the tiebreaker with the judges? Not to my knowledge. Someone says, I now believe Henry beats Peter Yan. Maybe. Just like his fellow Nigerian Israel Adesanya. Da, 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 da. Just somebody insulting him. May I use an audio clip from this? Yes. Fighters open their mouth when they're tired. Do they usually breathe through the nose? Yes. Or do they reuse the mouth and just close it when they get hit? Uh, you don't want to keep your jaw open. You want to keep it clenched. Because if you keep it open and it gets hit, you're much more likely to get knocked out. Uh, but you, you you might breathe out as you strike, right? You don't want to hold your breath as you strike. So if you are punching, you hear them like, say it. But yes, they breathe through their nose. Do you think UFC elects the, uh, believes the 10-point must system encourages finishes? No. I think they do it because it's just the one that they've gotten the government to get behind. Please unblock me on Twitter. <laughs> All right, I'll take a look. I'll take a look after this. All right. Uh, let's see. When Verdum loses again, will you agree steroids help? I never said steroids didn't help. Of course they help. Uh, can GSP prime or now take Usman? Maybe. Probably. How do you think Volkanovski prime? Certainly. How do you think uh, Volkanovski matches up with the Korean zombie? I think he's a terrible matchup for the Korean zombie. 
Volk seems prone to getting hit a lot. That's not quite true. And TKZ has shown serious power. That is true. Plus, TKZ has good up-the-middle boxing, which could be a problem for Volkanovski. However, what if he just decides to go for takedowns? He's got really good takedowns. Max is very hard to take down, and, and Volkanovski took him down. So that could be the difference maker. Thoughts on DC Stipe 3 being in the small cage? Can't wait. I, I, I love the small cage. I think it's better. What's the best way to stop Usman's clinch against the fence? Uh, it seems unstoppable. You can't get there to begin with. Footwork. Footwork. But that requires energy. Um, speaking of Bisping, should the UFC put the commentators in a soundproof booth for now? No. Were Jorge's body kicks a liability? I, I went over this on my radio show over this week. Till, Pearson, Usman, uh, and uh, Maya all caught kicks and took him down off of it. It's a the kicking is a key part of his game, but it's also a key reason why folks get him down. Uh, morning combat deserves more eyes. Fuck yeah, it does. How many fights does Jorge have left, considering the, his age, amount of fight he's had? I think he's he's still pretty fucking competitive. So I, I'm not. I don't think the end is near or something. Luke, have you heard any complaints about the ESPN pay per view streams? Other than the thing I had, the production issue, which I don't think is on ESPN, nothing today, but in the past I've had a ton of issues. Main event was boring. I'm a semi-hardcore, order most pay-per-views, been a fan since the mid-2000s when my grandpa got fights from Netflix. I will watch, I'll watch 252 still. Yeah, dude, listen, they're not all going to be bangers, man. They're not. They're not. Right? Everyone's like, oh, it's the cards that everyone sleeps on that are exciting. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes... There's a card that you can tell well in advance is going to be good, and it lives up to the hype. And then there's cards like this one, where uh, the first three fights are pretty good, and the second two, not all that great, you know? So, just stick around for the next one. It's, the more you watch, the more you'll realize, on balance, they're pretty great, you know? Seems like Bisping is shouting to impact the judges. No, I think he's shouting to impact the broadcast. Muhammad has a nice thing to say. Thank you, Muhammad. Did you see Hebas 101 record? Yeah, someone fucked up on the production today. It was not great. How'd you score Rose, Jessica? I had it 29-28 Rose. Biggest donk in UFC history. Um, I don't know. Does this performance make Colby versus Usman 2 that much more compelling? If he can get a win, yes. He's the only one who can take the fight to Kamaru in the division. I think Gilbert's still an interesting fight, Gilbert Burns. But I agree that Colby obviously, you know, is a is a, is a serious threat to him provided he can do other things uh you need more subscribers y'all i need more subscribers morning combat needs more eyeballs all that shit all that shit is true <laughs> all that shit is true so help me give the video a thumbs up donate subscribe do all that good shit get morning combat merch i don't get a cut of it but still it's probably good for the show uh all right so what do we want to say here? I will do some videos probably tomorrow um, for Dissected. I'll probably do the co-main. Take a look at it. Um, but if you guys want more than that, let me know. I'll break down some fights here for this channel. Not just my morning combat stuff, but Luke Thomas show, Monday to Friday. Information here, morning combat will be on Monday at 11 a.m. right here. I'm going to be in my office all day tomorrow working on stuff for Monday so you guys can have a ton of content. I can't tell you how much I appreciate folks who watch this. It means everything to me. I stay up late. It's 3.14 in the morning. I have to get up with my kid in like three hours. 
Um, but I really, 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 really appreciate you guys being here. I'm sorry about my allergies. Uh, I know it is awful and horrendous for me to watch me wipe my stupid face constantly. I, I apologize. I sincerely apologize. I did my best. Um, so anyway, here's my this is the Adidas mask I was telling you all about. It's a good mask. If you need a mask, it's a good one. Unless you're some kind of deranged idiot who thinks that masks are some imposition on your civil liberties, in which case, you know, you're a fucking moron. But for the rest of civil society, this is an option for you. Uh, someone says... When is Ponzinibbio to return and where does he fall in? Not at the top of the picture. He still has to work his way up. That RDA fight would be a good one. That'd be a great one. So we'll see. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thumbs up. Subscribe. Share this with a friend. I will put this on the podcast. I might chop some of these videos up and then share them individually on the channel or on other forms of social media. But um, you guys are the best. Okay. So thank you so much for watching. Send me any feedback, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com that you might have. And then until next time, get some sleep, bitches.